This is the Bible in One Year, Day 100. Seven Ways to Grow in Wisdom Lawrence of Arabia is one of the most successful films of all time. Much of the film is drawn from T.E. Lawrence's own account of his time in Arabia. He was a British archaeological scholar, military strategist, colonel at the age of 30, best known for his activities in the Middle East during World War I. Lawrence explores the theme of wisdom in his memoirs written in 1926 with the title Seven Pillars of Wisdom. Presumably, Lawrence had in mind today's passage. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out its seven pillars. In scripture, the number seven is often used to represent completion or perfection. In the book of Proverbs, the teaching of Jesus and the Bible in general, we find many ways to acquire and grow in wisdom. Seven of these can be seen in today's passages. Proverbs 9 Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, Come, eat my food and drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. First, Handling criticism. When we're criticised, there's no point in replying to those who are merely mocking us. If we do, they'll hate us even more. But it is worth replying to the wise. Our response to criticism should never be to insult, abuse or hate. Rather, we must learn from it in order to become wiser and to add to our learning. Indeed, our response to a rebuke should be increased love. This is far from easy. My natural reaction to criticism is often to be tempted to lash out in a verbal assault to try and justify myself. Yet the wise path is to seek to learn from the rebuke or instruction, however difficult that may be. For example, I've noticed over the years that those speakers who do not like their talks criticized seldom improve. Those who invite constructive criticism and are not threatened by it often improve rapidly and become far more effective. A right relationship with God will increase your wisdom and enable you to hear constructive criticism and grow through it. Lord, give me wisdom to be constructive when I give criticism and gracious when I receive it. New Testament, Luke 13. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. 
but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those eighteen who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for eighteen years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for eighteen long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about thirty kilograms of flour until it worked all through the dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you, or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you, or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there, and gnashing of teeth, when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. 
people will come from east and west and north and south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. Second, responding to suffering. In this passage, we see Jesus responding in two different ways to suffering. Jesus' response to people who were suffering was always one of compassion, as we see in the healing of the crippled woman. Yet here we also see his response to the questions raised about suffering. Pilate had killed some Galileans while they were at worship, mixing their blood with the blood of the sacrifices on the altar. Some people came to ask Jesus, in effect, Why does God allow suffering? Was their suffering the result of their sin? Jesus, of course, shows extraordinary wisdom in his response. So much suffering in the world is caused by human sin, and we're all guilty. Yet Jesus makes it very clear there is no automatic link between sin and suffering. They were not suffering because they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans. Jesus also points out that natural disasters are not necessarily a form of punishment from God. While it may be appropriate for us to examine our own hearts when we're suffering, we need to be very careful about making judgments about why others are suffering. Jesus was not so interested in philosophical explanations for suffering. Rather, he was interested in our response. He warns of the dangers, unless you repent. Third, pruning and planting. The parables of the fig tree, mustard seed and yeast, give us wisdom on how things grow in the kingdom of God. We see when things should be nurtured, when activities should be stopped, and when projects should be started. God is patient, giving as much time as possible for people to repent. In response to the desire to cut the fig tree down, the man gives it one more chance. If it bears fruit, next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. The key is to look for fruit. For example, as we look at the numerous ministries in the church, some are extremely fruitful. Others are less so. The temptation is to cut back on the less fruitful ones straight away. However, Jesus encourages us to be patient. If it bears fruit next year, fine. Yet this patience doesn't last forever. Sometimes the moment will come to stop an unfruitful ministry, to cut it down. The parables of the mustard seed and of the yeast remind us that while the kingdom of God starts small, over time there is a vast potential for growth. When the seed was planted, it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. This shows the enormous value of planting seeds of the kingdom, church planting included. It also suggests that we need to wait patiently to see this potential fulfilled. Fourth, Knowing when to confront. Personally, I find confrontation extremely difficult. Jesus had the wisdom of knowing when to confront. He exposed the hypocrisy and double standards of those who criticized him for healing a woman who'd been crippled for 18 years simply because he did so on the Sabbath. He reminds them of the importance of compassion over legalism. If that is a principle they follow in caring for animals, how much more should they follow it in caring for people? Jesus' answer was brilliantly wise. It delighted the people. Fifth, turning to Jesus. When someone asks Jesus a question, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He gives an intensely practical answer. He says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. In other words, don't focus first on others. Make sure you yourself have entered the kingdom of God. You cannot know about everybody else, but you can be sure about yourself. 
In this parable, many find themselves unable to enter the house, which represents the kingdom of God. The reason for this is because of the lack of a personal relationship with Jesus. Twice the owner of the house, who represents Jesus, says to those shut out of his house, I don't know you or where you come from. Being part of God's kingdom is all about turning to and knowing Jesus. It appears that some who expected to be included are excluded. But it also appears that more people will get in than expected. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast of the kingdom of God. Turning to and following Jesus is the wise thing to do, even if it feels like we're in the minority. Lord, I pray for wisdom today in all the conversations that I have and all the decisions I make. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the wisdom of Jesus. Old Testament, Deuteronomy 13 and 14. If a prophet, or one who foretells by dreams, appears among you and announces to you a sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place, and the prophet says, Let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow and him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him, serve him and hold fast to him. That prophet or dreamer must be put to death for inciting rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. That prophet or dreamer tried to turn you from the way the Lord your God commanded you to follow. You must purge the evil from among you. If your very own brother, or your son or daughter, or the wife you love, or your closest friend secretly entices you, saying, Let us go and worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known, gods of the peoples around you, whether near or far, from one end of the land to the other. Do not yield to them or listen to them. Show them no pity. Do not spare them or shield them. You must certainly put them to death. Your hand must be the first in putting them to death, and then the hands of all the people. Stone them to death because they tried to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Then all Israel will hear and be afraid, and no one among you will do such an evil thing again. If you hear it said about one of the towns the Lord your God is giving you to live in, the troublemakers have arisen among you and have led the people of their town astray, saying, Let us go and worship other gods, gods you have not known. Then you must inquire, probe, and investigate it thoroughly. And if it is true, and it has been proved that this detestable thing has been done among you, you must certainly put to the sword all who live in that town. You must destroy it completely, both its people and its livestock. You are to gather all the plunder of the town into the middle of the public square and completely burn the town and all its plunder as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God. That town is to remain a ruin forever, never to be rebuilt, and none of the condemned things are to be found in your hands. 
Then the Lord will turn from his fierce anger, will show you mercy, and will have compassion on you. He will increase your numbers as he promised on oath to your ancestors, because you obey the Lord your God by keeping all his commands that I am giving you today and doing what is right in his eyes. Deuteronomy chapter 14 You are the children of the Lord your God. Do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Do not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. However, of those that chew the cud or that have a divided hoof, you may not eat the camel, the hare, or the hyrax. Although they chew the cud, they do not have a divided hoof. They are ceremonially unclean for you. The pig is also unclean. Although it has a divided hoof, it does not chew the cud. You are not to eat their meat or touch their carcasses. Of all the creatures living in the water, you may eat any that has fins and scales. But anything that does not have fins and scales you may not eat. For you it is unclean. You may eat any clean bird, but these you may not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, the black kite, any kind of falcon, any kind of raven, the horned owl, the screech owl, the gull, any kind of hawk, the little owl, the great owl, the white owl, the desert owl, the osprey, the cormorant, the stork, any kind of heron, the hoopoe, and the bat. All flying insects are unclean to you. Do not eat them. But any winged creature that is clean you may eat. Do not eat anything you find already dead. You may give it to the foreigner residing in any of your towns, and they may eat it, or you may sell it to any other foreigner. But you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your corn, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God, at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant, and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe, because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver, and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no land allotted to them or any inheritance of their own. At the end of every three years, 
Bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no land allotted to them or any inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns, may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Sixth, testing prophecy. We need wisdom in discerning between true and false prophets. Prophets today might include not only those with the gift of prophecy, but also anyone who speaks in the name of the Lord, such as pastors, preachers, teachers, and evangelists. In all these cases, we need to distinguish the true from the false. One of the Old Testament tests of the true prophet comes in this passage. Even if a prophet performs signs and wonders, if he says, let us follow other gods, the people were warned, you must not listen to the words of that prophet. In other words, the people were to test the prophet by his teaching, whether he led people to God or away from him. Jesus says we will recognize them by their fruit. Seventh, revering God. You are a child of the Lord your God, and God's people are called to be holy to the Lord. You have been chosen to be his treasured possession. Under the old covenant, this involves strict rules as to what could and could not be eaten. Under the new covenant, Jesus declared all food clean. Under both the old and new covenant, one of the ways in which you revere the Lord is through your giving. It's a blessing to give. God blesses you as you bless others, and so that you can bless others. In particular, God promises here to bless us in our work. God's vision for his people is as a community upheld in mutual giving. As we saw in today's reading in Proverbs, reverence for the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. Lord, thank you that I am your treasured possession. Please help me to grow daily in wisdom. Pepper adds, Not having a huge number of academic qualifications, I take comfort in these verses. In Proverbs 9 verse 4, it says, Let all who are simple come here. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> 